0: Well, the last several messages that I have ministered, I have ministered all of them from the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians is very significant because in that letter, he brings to light the Galatians' true identity as sons of God within the new covenant of grace. And I honestly believe that that is a truth that needs to colonize in the heart of every single believer, that our identity is sons of God, daughters of God. And as I have thought about this message, I thought, I know that believers in particular are on this journey. They're on this journey to discover there's a quest, if you will, to discover this true identity, and it seems at times as though it paces back and forth in the subconscious level of the very core of our heart. You see, we know where we came from. We don't have a problem with that. Our birth certificates will tell us that. But what troubles me is the reality that so many people, including believers, express this I guess the best way I can say it is this inner conflict, this tug of war, that pertains to their eternal security, their eternal life. And it shouldn't be so. We should not have a conflict there. And if every minister would stand and preach the finished work of the cross, then it would be a settled matter in the heart of every single person. In other words, what I'm getting at is much of the body of Christ lacks confidence. Not confidence in Christ, but confidence in self. And I think that's probably where the root of this problem comes from, is so many people put confidence in their own righteousness. They put confidence in their own holiness. They put confidence in their own works, their own abilities, their own labors. They put confidence in so many things rather than... Confidence in Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, Christ's obedience. See, our obedience fails at times. His obedience never fails. It's always steadfast. And I was meditating on this scripture. It's one of my favorites. But I was meditating on it a couple of nights ago. It's the scripture we find in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. I love this, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. I know it says one man two different times in this scripture, but these are two different men. One is the first Adam, the one that was married to Eve, and the second one is the last Adam, the one that's married to the bride of Christ. It's Christ. So he's reaching back, and he's taking these two Adams, and he's laying them side by side. And he's saying this. He says, just through the disobedience of the one man. Now, who is that? We know that's Adam, because we know Christ was never disobedient. He says, just through the disobedience of that one man, This is very important. It says, the many were made to be sinners. What's important here is to know that we don't become sinners because we sin. I know that seems weird in your head. The scripture says you were made a sinner. Why is that important? Because now that we're no longer a sinner, it's no longer our nature, the great thing to know is that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, we didn't do anything to become a sinner. We were made that way through Adam, and we don't do anything to become righteous. We were made that way by Christ. I couldn't undo what Adam did, no matter how hard I tried. I could get inside a a shower with a bar of lava soap and a Brillo pad and run till the water runs cold, and you could never wash away sin. It took the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if we look at it just the other way, now that we're in Christ, there's nothing I can do to ever make myself dirty again. Oh, I can do stuff that is gonna mess up my mind, absolutely, but there's nothing I can do, spiritually speaking, in my spirit to undo what Christ has done. And so as I was meditating on this scripture the other night, I said, Daddy, give me a word picture that helps me to understand that because he likes to talk to me that way. And this is what the, the father said to me in my study. How many of you have ever wanted to learn to skydive? Anybody? <laughs> well, I've thought about it not too long. Skydiving, that means you jump out of a plane. Any takers on that? No? Okay. Okay. The two pilots aren't even moving on that one, are they? I feel the same way, brother. Why jump out of a perfectly good plane? That's exactly right. But if you decided you wanted to skydive, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go sit in a classroom and you're going to learn some fundamental things about skydiving. And for the next several times when you skydive, you're going to have a man or a woman strapped to your back. It's called tandem skydiving. Because, you see, that person's experienced. That person doesn't freeze when they fall out of the plane and are too scared to do anything. They're just latched up and they don't pull their ripcord, essentially. And they've done this before. That person is strapped to your back. When he falls out of the plane, guess what? You fall out of the plane with him. When Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, when he partook of the forbidden tree, when he fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, all of humanity was strapped to Adam. You see, every human being that you look at today came out of Adam's DNA. He was the first man Every human being, every race, every color, every creed, everybody came out of Adam. Inside of his DNA was encoded every human being that will ever be born. I don't think we needed a, a quantum leap to understand what I'm talking about there. So we were inside Adam's DNA. But when Jesus was nailed to the cross, we were nailed to the cross with him, and there's multiple scriptures that bear out that truth. His loss of blood became our loss of blood. His crown of thorn became our crown of thorn. His spear in the side became our spear in the side. His loss of life became our loss of life. And when Jesus' head fell, and the Bible says his head did fall, our head fell with Christ. When Jesus was buried, the Bible says we were buried in baptism with Jesus Christ. When Jesus was raised from the grave in newness of life, in resurrection power and glory and life, we were raised in glorious power, resurrection life. When Jesus was raised from the dead. Why? Because we were strapped to Jesus in a sense. And you got to understand something. He doesn't let go of us he doesn't lose any of the ones the father gives him. We were encoded in his DNA when he died on the cross and every benefit that Christ has, we have. We have resurrection power living on the inside of us. We have his grace living on the inside of us. The Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. The Bible says, I was buried with Christ in baptism and I was raised in newness of life. So, If Romans chapter 5 and verse 19 is true, and I believe it is because it's there, then I got to ask you this question. How do we explain the systemic emotional warfare that is taking place even in believers' hearts? I'm talking about emotional warfare. What does it look like? What does it sound like? He loves me. He loves me not. That's emotional warfare. To ever go from, I know my father loves me, to ever on one day feel like, "Mm, I'm not sure if my father loves me. I'm not 100% sure. Why? Because you're usually tying in your disobedience to that and you're trying to marry that with that. But in Christ, there's only obedience. Emotional warfare sounds like trying to reconcile the scriptures of he will never leave me or forsake me against the scripture of Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That is emotional warfare. And friends, I'm telling you, part of those are under the old covenant and part of those are under the new covenant. And if we just do our work to dissect between old and new, we won't be troubled over these things. So it's pretty simple. The more we become established in the finished work of grace, the more those things quit troubling us. But as I thought about this, I thought, what is man's deepest desire? What is his deepest desire? I don't know if you can just boil it down to one thing. There's probably multiple things. But I thought, what would be my deepest desire? First of all, the deepest desire, I felt like one of the deepest desires I had was to know who I belong to. That speaks of identity. And the reason there's so many gangs and so much violence and so much stuff going on is people didn't know who they belonged to. And they were searching for identity. And they found it in a gang, in a a group of people. They found communion there, essentially. They found community. People long to know, who do I belong to? That speaks of identity. And to know that we are not just loved, but always loved every moment of every day it feels good to be loved loved by another human being loved by your wife loved by your husband loved by your spouse loved by your kids it feels good there's this we're designed like that we're built in god's likeness in his image the bible declares when i say to know that we're loved always i'm talking about the invariable love of the father A love that doesn't vary from one day to the next. A love that doesn't change. A love that is always constant. That's invariable love. And to be assured that we have an inheritance that awaits us. We want identity. We want to know we're loved. And we want to know we have an inheritance. That means we're saying we want to know where we came from. We want to know where we're at and we want to know what happens, where we're going. Does that make sense? I mean, whether you consciously think about it or you subconsciously think about this, this is what the human heart craves. They do. I believe that journey begins by knowing this. And today, this morning, I want to walk us into a truth as I minister for a little while through a message I'm calling the full rights of sons. The full rights of sons. Our identity begins in understanding the downed earth truth that's found in John chapter 1 and verse 12. Listen to what it says. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I believe it begins here. You see, when it says this here, it says, but as many as received him, that word received comes from the Greek word lambano. It just means accepted. But as many as accepted him, him. See, you do not have this revelation of God's love. You do not have the revelation of God's mercy and grace until you accept him. And even after you accept him, you begin to grow in this revelation of grace and mercy and kindness. You begin to grow in it. But the Bible says, but as many as received or as many as accepted him, what is it that we accept? Are we just accepting some arbitrary truth? No. What we're accepting is several things. Number one, we are accepting that his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross was sufficient payment for every one of our sins. That's a wonderful truth, that his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross was overpayment, sufficient payment for every one of our sins. We're accepting the truth that he is the way, not a way. We're accepting the truth that the Father did raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Because if the Father didn't do that, then Jesus is still dead. And if we don't have a Savior, we have nothing. We have no hope. We have nothing. We sang that song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. We accept the truth that this is salvation by grace through faith alone. When the Bible says, but as many as received him, but as many as accepted him, to them, who's them? The ones that accepted him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Gave the power. Now, I know there's a lot of superheroes out there, and and kids love power. Both boys and girls, they love the superheroes. They love power. And so often we can misunderstand this word to be the dunamis word, which means the miracle power of God, the wonder work and power of God, the muscle of God, essentially. But this word here is not dunamis. This word is exousia, which means the ability or the privilege. See, if you just think God just deposited power in you and you just go around and stick your chest out and flex your muscles. And that's what he gave you. Oh, friends, it's more than that. He gave us the ability. He gave us the privilege to what? To become sons of God. And then it says, even unto them which believe on his name. And that word believe is pistis, which actually means to put one's trust in. So this is a foundational scripture that helps pull back the veil of our identity when we see that He gives us the ability, he gives us the privilege to become sons of God by faith in his finished work. It is an awesome, awesome scripture. The book of Galatians reminds me of a birth certificate. Let me tell you something about a birth certificate. On a birth certificate, friends, oh man, you're going to find vital statistics pertaining to the birth of that child. And guess what? No two birth certificates are the same. It's impossible. No two can be the same. You're going to find the name of that child on the birth certificate. Now, that child's name, both first, middle, and last, may show up on somebody else's birth certificate, but on that birth certificate, you're going to find the length of that child at birth, and that's probably where it's going to begin to change. You're going to find the weight of that child. You're going to find the parents' names on that birth certificate you're going to find i don't know if they still do it anymore but you're going to find the occupations mine has my daddy and mama's occupations on the birth certificate you're going to find the date of birth You're going to find the time of birth, and you're going to find the place of birth. You're going to find the municipality and the state that you were born in. You're going to find the hospital that you were delivered. The name of that hospital is going to be on there. The name of the doctor is going to be on there. You're going to find out whether you were a single, a twin, a triplet, or a multiple in some sort. You're going to find the race of that child on there. But moreover, you are going to find a raised, multicolored seal from the hospital's registrar, indicating that that is the original birth certificate. And as Paul is penning his letter to the Galatians, he has penned a masterpiece. It is an original. It's an original that he knew would set people free. And as Paul is nearing the end of his letter to the Galatians, as the registrar of that letter. Paul puts his raised, multicolored seal on the letter. He knows that his letter carries with it the ability and the privilege to extract identity and inheritance. That's what he's getting at when he's writing this uh, letter to the Galatians. He wants them to see their true identity within the covenant of grace, and he wants them to know you have an inheritance that awaits you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. This is what the Apostle Paul said. I love this. He said, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. <laughs> what was Paul saying? He was saying, I am the registrar of this letter, and its contents are absolutely original and accurate. My letter to you says a lot of things about your identity, but there's one thing that is most important on that letter, he said, it's got your daddy's name on it. It's got Papa's name on it. Friends, let me tell you something. When we accepted the truth that Jesus was crucified and buried for three days and then rose from the dead, the Father gave us the full rights of sons and we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. So throughout this book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul uses a razor-sharp pen as he divides the Old Covenant from the New Covenant, and he discards—this is so important to hear this—he discards the Old Covenant like hospitals discard the placenta and the fetal membrane after the baby is born. You see, friends, after a man is born again, the law is discarded as our schoolmaster. I think the body of Christ gets hung up here because they want to still follow his laws, all the laws. We are not made right by laws. We are made right by faith. So the schoolmaster is discarded. The law is discarded for the believer when he comes to Christ. People will argue with that point, but I want you to reason with the scriptures. You've got to reason in your heart with the scriptures. Look what it says. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24, 25, and 26 Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Notice the word, the law was. If I said to you, I was an employee of some place, I wouldn't have to tell you anything more than that for you to go. You're no longer working there. How do you know that? Because I just told you I was an employee. And the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ by faith. We are no longer under the schoolmaster. We are under grace. For you are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, take that truth, set it aside to one corner of your heart. Now, let's marry a couple of scriptures on top of that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 I love this scripture, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Do you know what masters do? Masters tell you what to do. They boss you around. They speak into your life. you don't believe me, just get a supervisor one time. They'll talk to you. They tell you what to do, and you need to listen to them. You do, I mean, for the most part. But that's the idea of a master. A master is someone who has supervision over you. They're like a supervisor. And I think one version of the Bible actually says the law was a supervisor to us. But it says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin is not our master. The law is not our master. Jesus is our master. He is our master of righteousness. He's the master of righteousness. Now, we're in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. It just said... Sin shall no longer be your master. Now look at what happens. Let's skip up four verses to verse 18. It says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Beautiful scripture. You have been set free from sin. In other words, what it's saying here is it doesn't mean you will never sin, but what it's saying is you have been set free from the penalty of sin. Remember in Romans, I believe it's 623, it says the penalty of sin is death. Under the old covenant, that was the case. We are not under the penalty of death. We're not under the curse. We have been set free from all of this. It says, for you have been set free from sin. Now you've got to wrestle in your own heart with that scripture, and I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to, unless you're establishing what this scripture is absolutely telling you, then I would say you need to get it on the mat and wrestle with it for a while, because you have been set free from sin. That means you don't have to do it. You're free not to sin, okay? But the penalty of judgment is not going to happen in our lives from God. Sin has its own consequence, but God is not judging us for sin, why? Because our sin was nailed to the cross with Christ. Our sin and the law is no longer our schoolmaster. We are not only children of God, but we have the full rights of sons remember we sleep in the house we don't sleep in a barn slaves sleep in the barn servants sleep in the barn we need to shed the slave and servant mentality i was telling a friend that yesterday when we were dialoguing back and forth at the conference i said there's too many people that have this servant mentality or this slave mentality i said you know what i get to serve but servant is not my identity. Son is my identity. Slave is not my identity. Son is my identity. We wear the robe of righteousness. (laughs) We wear the ring of oneness, and we wear the shoes of sonship. All of that belongs to us in Christ. Now, Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 to 29, and then it spills over into the first few verses of Galatians chapter four verses one through 7. It says, "So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What did we clothe ourselves with? Christ, What did we put on? We put on a garment of righteousness. We put on the garment of salvation. We are clothed with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. In other words, there's no competition. There's no need to compare. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. He says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, let's move to Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is a child, He is no different from the slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. What are the basic principles of this world? Philosophies and the traditions of men. That is the basic principles of this world. You need no faith for that. God's kingdom is a kingdom of faith. You don't need faith for philosophies. You don't need faith to operate in the traditions of men. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were philosophical. They were operating in the traditions that were passed down from their forefathers. And here is Jesus Christ standing right in front of them, and he can't seem to get it through their thick hearts. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, I love this, look at these words, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Redeem means to buy you out. It means to buy you out of slavery, essentially. It's redemption. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. That was the inspiration for this message, right out of Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5. Do you notice how he connects full rights of sons with the fact that we have been redeemed from the law? See, there's a relationship. And when you understand in your heart that you have been redeemed from the law, the law is no longer your schoolmaster, the law is no longer your master, then what you begin to do is you begin to think like a son. You begin to go, wow, I have full rights as a son. It feels good sometimes just to work at a place long enough to get vested, uh, fully vested in that place. So if it takes 10 years to get fully vested in a place and you leave in nine years, well, you're not fully vested. Friends, I'm telling you what, we're fully vested in Christ the moment we put our faith in Him. The moment we're not working along this journey, trying to reach toward a goal. A philosophy might get us there. A tradition of men might help us along the way. No, his blood worked. We were nailed to the cross with Christ to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Look what he says now. He says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, and I just love these words, Abba, father. It's words that you don't want to scream. They have a tenderness to them. Abba, father. You know, when my kids were born, I didn't, I'm a rambunctious guy. I've got a lot of energy. But you don't do that when, you, when you're when holding a newborn. Because they only have two fears in life, one of falling and one of loud noises. Other than that, they fear nothing. Babies fear nothing. And so you want to talk gentle a baby you want to start whispering you want to start doing all those sweet little fuzzy things come on am i taking you back to those early days when you had those kids and you just want to whisper and you want to hold them so close and that's what he's getting at he says when you receive the spirit he said the spirit even the spirit calls out abba father which means papa means daddy father And then he says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. In other words, he's saying, you can leave this prodigal son mindset, which thinks I'm a slave and I've got to earn my way back into daddy's goodness. You can just forget all that stuff. You are no longer a slave, but a son, Remember that, take that with you. Put it in the doggy bag, if you will, take it with you. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son of God. Come on, we're connected to God who spoke the universe's, I mean, God. He's our Abba Papa, he's our Abba Father. And he doesn't like to scare his kids. Religion will scare you. The philosophies of men will scare you. The traditions of men will scare the stuffings out of you. Daddy will never scare you. He's not into scaring his kids. No, that's why he he wants us to see you're a son. I'm a father. I talk gentle to you. I whisper to you. Haven't you read the scripture that his voice is like a gentle whisper? That's what brought Elijah out of his cave when he was running from Jezebel. The Bible says there was an earthquake. He stayed in the cave. There was a tornado. He stayed in the cave. He was scared. There was a fire. Stayed in the cave. But then the Bible says there came a gentle whisper. And the Bible says he came to the mouth of the cave. That's what Daddy wants to do. Sometimes we find ourselves in scary places. Caves can be scary. You may never find yourself in a cave, but you may find yourself in a fearful situation, a scary situation. And daddy's saying, hey, remember, I'm Abba, Father. I'm daddy. I will never scare you, son. I'm going to always tell you the truth, but I'm going to marry it with grace too. Son, that's what my son did. Truth and grace came by Jesus Christ. It wasn't this grace came by Jesus Christ. It was truth and and grace and a good parent is going to tell their children the truth but they're going to be gracious about it they're not going to put all these laws and mean spirited rules on them that's scary no daddy wants us to see him as appa father he says so you are no longer a slave but a son and since I love this you are his son you see, there are people in life I call son. They're not even my son. I, I might meet somebody for the first time. and I, I might call him son. You know how people do that sometimes. Hey, sonny. Hey, 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 son, how you doing? But he's not necessarily my son. But in this scripture here, he says his son. Since you are his, not just a son, his son. He says, since you are his son, now let that identity ring in your heart this morning. I'm his son. There's the identity part, right? I'm his son, not a slave, not a scary daddy. He's not wearing a mask. He's Abba Father, gentle whisper. He's my daddy. And since you're a son, God has also made you an heir. You see that? Sonship and heirship go together. Inheritance goes together with son. Slaves don't inherit. Sons inherit. Since you are my son, I've also made you an heir. I want you to make note that those two always go together. Now, the law has a purpose. What is the purpose of the law? It's to bring us to Christ. It's to take a man who's just stubborn, defiant, prideful, and it's to put its finger in that man's face and call him a failure. You failed. That is the law's purpose. Friends, the law is still here. It is still bringing people to Christ. Yesterday a young lady gave her heart to Jesus in that meeting down there yesterday. Why? Because she heard grace ministers stand there and preach the true gospel. She just probably happened to wander in because on the outside of the building it said, the Hope Center. What is this? What is the Hope Center? Walked in there, gave her heart to Jesus Christ because she heard the gospel being preached that God's not mad at you. God's got no problem with you. Jesus hung on a cross to take away all that. God loves you. You can call him Abba, Father. So the law's purpose is to bring a man to Christ. The placenta has a purpose. It attaches the baby to the uterine wall, but neither the law nor the placenta is needed once the baby is born. They are cut away and discarded. I mean, you would just be a fool to say, can I take the placenta home with me, too, and the umbilical, all that stuff with me? No, get that stuff. I don't need this anymore. The baby doesn't need this anymore. The parent supplies that child's every need after that child is born. And likewise, with the newborn, the new babe in Christ, the Holy Spirit supplies every single need we have. We see that truth in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2-4. through I just love this. It says, you've had a taste of God. Oh, doesn't he taste good? Yeah, you have a taste of God. Now, like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. Come to Christ. Come to Christ, who is the living foundation of rock upon which God builds. Though men have spurned him, he is very precious to God who has chosen him above all others. I think the church and I've seen it happen as a as a minister and just growing up in the church for the last 25 years. I think the church likes to skip the milk of God's pure kindness and grace and feed newborn creations in Christ's steak. And you know, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Well, you know, let's yeah, I know you just gave your heart to Jesus, but let's talk about those four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, You don't need to know about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You need to know about God's pure kindness. You need to know about Abba Father. You need to know about his grace. That's going to be your foundation. If we get around to the horses later, then fine. Hold the horses for now. Let's talk about daddy's grace. Let's talk about daddy's kindness. Let's talk about Abba Father. Let's talk about that gentle whisper that he loves to whisper in your heart and bring you out of the caves bring you out of those dark places those scary places let's talk about that kind of God because if you don't have that foundation in place nothing works and I've seen people man they just get saved and be like "Where, where are you reading that oh revelation revelation you've been watching too many movies I'm not saying you never get around to going to revelation but friend you don't need revelation as a child in Christ most of the pastors i know don't understand revelation there's so much typology in there i mean you've got to just dedicate your whole life just to reading daniel and and revelation to understand all how all that works and one of these days we're going to start preaching on some of that stuff in here with a grace perspective it it's coming believe me so let me ask you the question why is being established in the gospel of grace so vital because you've heard me say it a million times because grace is the only thing that takes away guilt, shame, come on, fear, and condemnation. And what does it replace it with? What does grace do? It replaces it with sonship and inheritance. That's what grace will point to. It appoints you to Abba, Father, who wants to whisper in your heart, take away scary stuff, and say, You're my son. I remember doing that. I remember having those flashbacks right now. I would hold my firstborn baby. And go, you're, my, you're my boy. You're my son. And, you know, I mean, you're mesmerized. You're, you're instantly in love with a little creation that just came out. You're like, what is this love? Where did this love come from? What well, comes from the Father. It's the way he loves us. See, over the years, we don't think about our children being born. They they create other messes sometimes. But anyway, we don't think about that so much. But, but daddy never stops thinking about it. He just doesn't. We're like new creations in Christ at all times. And he's just so in love with us. Loves us. If a person holds on to even a portion of the law. Now let's just set this straight here. Let's say you say, man, I just, you know, I'm just going to hold on to just this one little section of the law. Then I'm telling you, that person will not experience rest in either that area of their life or in some area of their life. You cannot hold on to it. It's all or nothing when it comes to the law. And if it's all, then you better obey it to the letter. But the truth of the matter is you can't. The Bible says in James, we all stumble in many ways. We all fall. You'll never experience rest in that area of your life. Why? Because the law is, listen to me, is the ministry of death. How can you experience rest if the ministry of death is working on you? Pretty tough to do. We see this truth amplified in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. I'm telling you, the law is the ministry of death. Look at what it says. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Look what he says about the letter. He says, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, what letter is he talking about? He's talking about those that were engraved on the Ten Commandments on stone. That's the letter he's talking about. You don't think so? Let's keep reading. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. Do you see that? He's talking about the Ten Commandments. And he said the purpose of that ministry was to kill you. He said, let me tell you something about it. He said it came with glory. The Ten Commandments really was not a bad thing. God gave the Ten Commandments to him in Israel from the nations that were attacking it and surrounding it. God gave Israel commandments so that they would live longer. I mean, who would have ever thought you needed to wash your hands before you ate something, right? But God yet commanded the Israelites to do that. Long before man discovered there were even germs on your hands, God knew what He was talking about. So God, when He gave the law, it wasn't his, His first heart to say, I'm going to put you under all these rules and laws. Israel said, this is what we want. And he gave them Ten Commandments, and then they just kept adding to them and adding to them all the way up to 613 Jewish laws. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not steadily look at the face of Moses because of its glory, love this, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? The ministry of the Spirit is more glorious than the ministry of the law. Is that what the scriptures say? That's exactly what it says. It says, if the ministry, continuing, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious. So he's he's pointing us back to the law. He says, listen, that ministry brought condemnation. Why? Because it always told you you failed. It would always point out your fault. It would always tell you when you missed the mark. That's what it was designed to do. But he says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Nobody was saved. Nobody was made righteous under the law. Not one. It's always been by faith. No man ever lived based off keeping the Ten Commandments or keeping all of the Jewish law. We are not made righteous by that. He says, It's the ministry of the Spirit that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with a surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? The ministry of reconciliation lasts. It doesn't come and go. It's not transitory, friends. It is here forever. Many, many years ago, even before Valerie and I were married, I happened to find a dentist that I really liked. I did. I, I liked him. He knew a lot. He was a sole proprietor. He didn't have anybody else working for him other than hygienists. But I really liked him because he was, he was so knowledgeable, and I just happened to like him. And I said, honey, after we got married, I said, you need to go see this dentist. You know, He's going to be our family dentist. And so when Valerie came home, I said, well, how was your experience with the dentist? She said it wasn't a good one. I said, why is that? She said, it felt like he was smothering me. I said, what? I thought Valerie was exaggerating, to be honest with you. I really did, because I, I didn't feel that way, to be honest. She said, it's just the way he turns the chair and gets over you and, and has you upside down, just about, you know, inverted. He said, I felt like I was going to get smothered. And again, I thought she was just getting carried away, a little exaggerant. But then sometime later, we sent our teenage son to the same dentist. When he came home, I said, Joe, How was the dental uh, trip today? He said, well, not very good. I said, why is that? He said, I felt like I was going to get smothered. Now I have two people telling the exact same thing. And I thought, what? And as I thought about that, and I thought about these scriptures, I thought, friends, look, the law had a glory to it. It had a glory to it. It was good. The Bible says the law was good. But guess what? It smothered us it smothered us in rules and laws it was transitory and it was the ministry of death it was like a gypsy wagon it was just passing through the law never imparted identity and it never imparted inheritance and guess what the law does the law will strike the father's name from the birth certificate because it's not about your identity if you want to obey the law. It's just about you keeping laws and rules. Doesn't matter who your daddy is, you just need to keep laws and rules. The law will remove your daddy's name from the birth certificate. It tells a man, you know what? You better hold on to the placenta because there might come a time you might just need that. You might need that to supply all your nutrients. You might need that to carry away your waste. No, friends, we don't need it anymore. The law will have you pacing back and forth like a nervous parent waiting in the waiting room rather than at rest in grace what the law does is it strips away our exousia our ability and our privilege to become the sons of god the law omits the tender expression of abba father you didn't call him that under the old covenant The law takes away Abba, Father. And friends, the law conceals the truth that we have been given the full rights of sons. Jesus was walking along with his disciples one day and he told them a story. It's a story I'm very fond of and I have preached this story many times over the years in different ways. And it has a lot of talking points to it. It's the prodigal son, as we call it. And I don't want to get into a lot of the things that I've covered, but I want to take you through it very quickly and then show you how this ties into our identity and inheritance. The first thing I have to ask myself is, why did Jesus tell this story? Why would he tell this story? Did he want to draw our attention to a sinful son? No. (laughs) Did he want to draw our attention to a bratty brother? No. He wanted to draw our attention to a faithful father. That's why Jesus told this story. He's going to tell them a story. And what he's trying to do, he's wanting to say, I want to show you what Abba Father looks like. I want to show you what daddy looks like. I know him. I've been with him forever. I know what he looks like. Listen to my heart. And whether this story really happened or it was a parable, it doesn't matter. Jesus was saying, I want to show you my faithful father. I want to show you the goodness of my father. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 31, Jesus continued. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I'm trying to resist commentary. I'm trying to resist preaching some of the finer points here. But I, I think we've covered this before. Watch this though. Here's the deal. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I can see this young man sitting down on an old stump with his chin on his hand looking at the pig pen, but at the same time dreaming back of how it was at home, thinking about how good it would be just to be a servant at this point in time. He has fallen to the lowest he's ever been in his life. He is in Heartbreak Hotel. He said, I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, here's the first clue. He has lost a sense of his identity. It's not completely gone, but it's been impaired. He did say, Father, but at the same time, he mixed in, Make me like a servant. He's forgotten he's a son. Oh, he still remembers I've got a daddy. Why would he remember that? Because he remembers his father was good. I'm not going to take that away from you. You were good. I'll still call you father when I'm not going to call me son because I wasn't good. Maybe I can be a servant. He said, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Friends, do you see daddy running through the meadows? Do you see him hiking his robe so that he can run so he doesn't feel like he's in a gunny sack and tripping? He's got his robe lifting, and he's running to his son because he's been waiting for his son to change his mind. He's been waiting for his son to come home. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Look at that. It says, he ran to his son, He didn't walk. It demonstrates passion. When you run to something, it's because you're passionate about something. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Let me tell you something. When my daddy married my mama, he had already lost all of his teeth. I never seen my daddy with false teeth all of his life. I never did. He never had them. And man, when he'd put his little lips on your neck or something like that, man, he'd leave the juiciest kisses. We'd always go, Daddy, what are you doing? Don't do that, you know? You know, especially as you got a little bit older, you know? But I long now for my daddy to kiss my neck and leave his slobbering one on me. I long for my daddy to run passionately to me. I long for my daddy to throw his arms around me and kiss me and hug me. And when it says he kissed his son, it literally means he continued to kiss his son. He kissed his son all over his face and neck and eyes and nose and ears and hair. He passionately kissed his son. And the son is just as straight as an arrow, showing basically no emotion. Why? Because he's got a servant mentality. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And because I've sinned, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Friends, the church is stuck there. And I will preach the gospel until the church gets unstuck there. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Why? Because I've sinned against you. Now listen, I understand this is under the old covenant. Jesus has not been crucified. This is Luke chapter 15. He doesn't get crucified until later. I understand this. They're under the old covenant mentality. But for a new creation to be under an old covenant mentality, there's just something wrong with that. You see, when the father heard him say that, the father knew right there. Okay your identity has been kidnapped. Where's my boy? Where's my son at? You're begging me just to become a slave? Oh, we don't work that way around here. But the father said to his servants, (laughs) I love this, quick, quick, don't waste any time. Right now. Bring the best robe And put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Why was he doing that? He was saying, I want to remind my son of several things. Number one, I want to put a robe on him to remind him of his righteousness, that he is wearing the robe of righteousness i want to take a ring that represents oneness and i want you to put that ring on his finger to show him that you and i are one son and i want you to put shoes on his feet remind him that he is still a son slaves didn't wear shoes friends it was only the sons that wore the shoes do you see what the father his father is doing and jesus is telling this story because he's saying i want you to see that my daddy's like this He's Abba Father. He's not scary. Even when you've sinned, even when you've messed up, even when you've went to a foreign country, even when you've slapped hogs, even when your mentality shouldn't be the way it is, my Father wants to whisper in your heart. I'm just so passionate about that. He says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Where was he dead? He was dead in his mind. He might have been dead in his heart. He wasn't dead in terms of the father. He was dead in his own heart. He was alienated in his own mind, just like Ephesians talks about. They've been alienated in their own mind. He said, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, See, friends, that's what religion will do. It will keep you mean for a while. That's exactly what it will do. It'll make you mean. The Bible says, meanwhile, the older son, the one that didn't leave home, oh, he didn't leave home physically, but he left home in his heart. The older son, it says, was in the field. See, he had this mentality I've got to work to please my father, I must always stay on the job. He was in the field working. And he heard this commotion. The Bible says, when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And they said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Look at this older brother's response. This is where the church can get stuck. The older brother became angry And refused to go in. Why? Because he can't take that much grace. Because he's got a mentality that I must do to please. No, you don't. He refused to go in. Look at the father's response. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Do you see his heart? I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. That's because you never asked. I know the heart of this father. If you were to asked daddy for that goat, you'd have had it. Don't expect a father just to go ahead and read your mind all the time, although he can. He likes to have conversation with you. Tell daddy what's on your heart. The older brother says, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property. Do you see how he's throwing his brother under the bus? He won't even call him his brother. He says, this son of yours, who has squandered your property. Daddy, I want to remind you what he's done to you. He squandered your property with prostitutes. Man, he just pulls out the words, man. He said, when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Now watch the next two words. My son. He draws the son from the field back into perspective of identity. My son. And I could almost hear that young man going, even though I can't stand my brother? My son, really? Yes. Yes. Even though I won't forgive him, yes. Even though I'm rebellious, yes. Even though I won't come to the party that I'm invited to, yes. My son, identity. My son, the father said, look at these next words. You are always with me. Not only does my son speak of identity, but always with me speaks of the invariableness of God. You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. That speaks of inheritance. Everything I have, I'm telling you right now, son, everything I have is yours. So that when I go on someday, you'll know you've got an inheritance coming. I'm telling you right now, everything I've got is yours. Inheritance. This is what today's generation, even the church is longing to hear. That everything is mine in you. Oh, I want to hear that. Everything is mine in you. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That is how that parable ends. And that is the truth that Jesus wants to draw our attention to, identity, the invariableness of God, and inheritance. My last scriptures, Romans chapter 8. Verses 15, 16, and 17 from the message translation. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. Look at these words. We know who he is, and we know who we are. Father and children, that speaks of identity. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. How's that? Because we are strapped to Christ. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him also. Amen. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. The revelation that we have been given the full rights of sons colonizes in the seedbed of grace. It proliferates when it's planted in grace. Through the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ, we can say with confidence, your grace finds me. His death, his burial, and his resurrection is our death and our burial and our resurrection. The umbilical cord and the placenta that once attached our old man to the schoolmaster has been cut away and discarded. We are no longer under sin, but under grace. Hear Abba Father say, I know who you are and you know who you are. You're my son. We have been accepted in Christ. We have been given the ability and the privilege to become the sons of God even unto them which have put their trust in his name. We have a faithful father that welcomes us at all times with hugs and kisses. Why? Because we deserve it? No, because our birth certificate bears our father's name. We are no longer slaves and no longer servants, smothered with rules and laws, do's and don'ts, wills and won'ts. We are sons of God and heir according to the promise. Through the finished work of Christ, the words, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, are taken away and replaced with the robe of righteousness, the ring of oneness, and the shoes of sonship. We can say, what's next, Papa? And Papa says, it's your inheritance, son. For the following words were penned by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. In Jesus' name, amen. Daddy, I have... uh, Taking myself to a, just an amusement park, a circus, if you will, inside of me. I feel like a little kid. One thing I know when we go to those kind of places, our daddies and our mamas go with us, that we're not alone. Why? Because you love us and you want to protect us. And I want to thank you, Father, that you gave us the true gospel, the gospel to protect us, in a sense, not only from the philosophies and the traditions of men, but the gospel to protect us from fear and condemnation. The gospel to protect us from slipping back into the mentality of make me like one of your hired hands. No, we must always remember we get to bring our Papa, our Abba Father, dandelions, and we get to grab a hold of your ankles, Papa, and hug you and love you and hold you as you whisper into our heart. You're not scary at all. You're not scary at all, Daddy. Jesus Christ, it's faith in his finished work that takes away all of the fright we don't have to perform. We are sons of God, and as sons of God, we receive the full rights of those sons in Jesus' name. Amen.